0: As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we open now your word, we pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all of your fullness. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1. It's on page 1063 of most of our Pew Bibles. It's the second book of the New Testament between Matthew and Luke. As I said earlier, if you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here today. We've been considering a series through the book of Mark, and we've come to Mark, chapter 1, verse 14. So Mark, chapter 1, verse 14, and we'll read from verse 14 through verse 20, and that will be our text for this morning. Mark chapter 1, beginning our reading at verse 14 and reading through verse 20. And let us pay careful attention for this is God's own word. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Thus far the reading of God's word. Uh, May he bless it to us. I titled our sermon this morning, Jesus Begins His Ministry. Of course, we know that Jesus had been ministering to his people long before he came into this world. Wherever in the Old Testament we see the angel of God ministering to the people of God. We know that the Son of God was there helping them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that Jesus Christ, the Christ was with them in the wilderness. That rock was Christ. So this is hardly the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We might just say this is the beginning of his earthly ministry. Um, But we're referring, when we talk about his ministry, to that beginning that Mark describes here. Uh, When Jesus comes on the scene, um, as his ministry begins, after uh, John's ministry has come to a conclusion... And we know that over the course of Jesus' public ministry, he did many things. It might be interesting if I, you know, gave us the opportunity to say, what did Jesus do as he ministered in the world? We would probably say many things, but the most characteristic and fundamental thing that Jesus did was preach. Uh, Jesus was a gospel preacher. And Mark is telling us at the very beginning that Jesus comes preaching. And again and again in the gospel, we will find Jesus preaching. And it's here at the beginning of the gospel that Mark tells us what that preaching consisted of. How to understand the message that Jesus brought. Other times, he'll just refer to his preaching. He won't tell us necessarily what he was preaching. Um, And so here, just as Mark began the gospel by saying, I want you to understand clearly who Jesus is, Now Mark is saying, I want you to understand clearly what Jesus preached. Uh, What is the gospel of God uh, that Jesus brought? Mark wants us to understand that. The gospel of God and the effect that it has in the world. And so here we see Jesus beginning his public ministry, preaching the gospel of God. We want to think about this passage and think about what we learn from it as Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. What do we see in this passage. Well, we see a new era, a necessary response, and a noteworthy start. That's how we want to think about the ministry of Jesus here. A new era, a necessary response, and a noteworthy start. Uh, A new era has come. Mark signals this to us right at the beginning of our passage when he says, now after John was arrested. Um, And as will happen to us from time to time in Mark's Gospel, will say, now that seems hardly enough detail. Why is John arrested? Who arrested John? What is the significance of John being arrested? And Mark passes over any details about what has happened because he wants us to focus on one particular point. John being arrested signals that John's time, John's ministry, John's preparation has all come to an end. Uh, That preparation for which John has been raised up has come to its conclusion. Um, That's what we're saying. There's a new era in ministry, Mark is wanting us to understand. The era of John's ministry in preparation is now over. It has been ended by his arrest. And now the era of Christ's ministry has begun. Because those two events are coupled together by Mark. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. Um, John's ministry had been one of saying there is one coming after me um, who is mightier than I who's the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie I'm preparing the way by baptizing with water he will come baptizing with the Holy Spirit Um, and now Mark is telling us that era of John's ministry is over and that new era of the coming one the Christ is begun Jesus is now coming to begin his ministry. And this is not just a new era in in ministry, as if sort of one preacher is being replaced by another preacher. This is a new era in redemptive history. A new era in redemptive history has begun by the fact that Jesus now comes, proclaiming the gospel of God. He comes preaching glad tidings, the good news of God. And that should prompt us to ask, what is the gospel he preached? What is the good news of God? What are the glad tidings of God that Jesus brought? Um, And Mark wants us to understand that clearly. And that's what verse 15 is really doing for us. is telling us what is the content of the gospel of God that Jesus preached. And the content of that gospel is, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the message that Jesus comes and preaches. Um, It's a substantial message. Um, It's a wonderful message declaring that this new era has come. The first element of the gospel that Jesus preaches is that the time is fulfilled. Uh, What time the time that the prophets were always talking about. Uh, The prophets always brought a word of judgment, but they always brought this word as well that there was a time coming. And they would often talk about the glory of that time that was coming. And they would say, you know, times are bad now, but there's a day coming when the Lord will act in a new way. The Lord will come and bless His people in a new and decisive way. There are days that are coming. There's a time coming. There's a time that's coming soon. And there was always this time that they were referring to, this time that was far off. And what does Jesus come and proclaim? That time that the prophets talked about is now fulfilled. That time you were looking forward to is now here. The time God's people have been looking for, for God to act in that new and decisive way in redemption that time has come. Those times have been fulfilled. The ultimate redemption that God had promised is now here. That's the good news that Jesus brings. The glad tidings that that time we've been waiting for is fulfilled. That time of redemption is now. God is going to act in a new and decisive way to bring redemption to To his people. That's good news. Um, The second part of that gospel of good news is not just that the time is fulfilled. But that the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, What does it mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? Well another way of translating that would be to say it has come near. Or maybe even better it is the next thing to come. Uh, Jesus will speak this way in Mark chapter 13, when he says in verse 28, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. What, What does Jesus mean there when he says, you know that summer is near? He says, you know it's the next thing that comes after this. When you see that tree doing those things, what do you know? That summer is the next thing to come. Um, that the, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the next thing to come. It's that near. It's near in time, is what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is near. So what is the kingdom of God? Right? Why is it such good news to know that the kingdom of God is near? Um. Well, the kingdom of God is a topic that you could take a long time talking about. Um, One of the commentators I read said, you know, there have been whole systematic treatises written on the kingdom. Herman Ritterboss has written a great book on the coming of the kingdom. It's 588 pages. Um, Dr. Baugh at the seminary, who's one of my professors, has written a wonderful little book on the introduction of the coming of the kingdom. Um, That's 168 pages. So even introduce the topic takes writers a long time. Uh, we can talk forever about what the kingdom of God is because it's so expansive, but to give, unless you're worried that I'm going to sort of try to track a, a topic like that right now, don't worry, we can, we can kind of have a shorthand way of thinking about that as the people of God. If you really want to know what the kingdom of God is, think about it this way. It's the new creation in all of its consummation glory. That's what the kingdom of God is, properly speaking. That's what people were hoping for. That's what people were looking for. That's what the prophets talked about. God coming in a whole new way and sweeping away the whole old order and establishing something entirely new. A kingdom where only righteousness dwells. A kingdom in which only righteousness dwells. Where all evil has been put away where only God's people dwell, and their God dwells with them in their midst, ruling over them as their God and governing the world in a whole new way. It's that end for which the world was made in the first place. And it's the end that the prophets promised God would bring by his power. A new creation, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's a helpful way about thinking about what the kingdom of God is, properly speaking. And if we want to really understand the good news in all of its glory, that's what Jesus is saying is next. That's the good news that Jesus is proclaiming. What comes next? Just like summer is just around the corner when you see things like you see on the fig tree. What what am I saying to you? That glory is just around the corner. God has acted now in a decisive way that makes that consummation glory the next thing to hope for. That's the good news of what Jesus proclaims. That time when God's sovereign rule and reign will be exercised fully and consummately in history. There is no better news than that. That the kingdom of God is at hand. And what is the decisive event that has brought all of this to pass? Why is the time fulfilled? Why is the kingdom of God so near now in time? What has changed in the world that has made this true? Jesus has come that's the decisive event. He's part of that gospel proclamation. His coming into the world is the beginning. Right, the fullness of time, the Son of God came into the world, born of a woman, born under law. That's how you know the time was fulfilled because the king has come. That's how you know the kingdom of God is about to be inaugurated because the king has come. It's not only near in time, As the kingdom, it's near in space. The king has come. That's the one thing you need to have a kingdom. Right? The thing without which there is no kingdom. You have to have a king. And that's what Jesus' coming has meant in the world. The king has now come. The true Messiah, the Christ, has come into the world who is also the very son of God. That's the good news that comes. It's a better kind of news than has ever come in the world. It's more joyous. It's more glad. It's better than anything that's come before because the time is now. It's come in him. As one person put it, the old world age begun with Adam and Eve has now reached its last phase. And we will see in Mark's gospel how that king brings The power of the age to come, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, to bear on this present evil age. Um, Mark's gospel will be filled with things that Jesus does that nobody can understand. And Mark is telling us the secret of it right here at the beginning. This is the king of glory. This is the king of the new creation. This is the one who will, by his power, make all things new. And the power of the age to come in his ministry will continue to break in on this present evil age. Um, You'll see that new creation power brought to bear on people who are sick. That new creation power brought to bear on people that are possessed by demons. That new creation power brought to bear on the dead. That new creation power brought to bear on this old creation telling it what to do. All of that will testify the power of that new creation age has come in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's glory. That's good news. That's better news than anyone has ever proclaimed in the world than when Jesus came and proclaimed that that new era has come. And that new era calls for then a necessary response. There's only one way that people must respond to that good news to those glad tidings. And how are God's people called to respond? Well, Jesus proclaims the only way that human beings can participate with joy in this kingdom that's coming. And what is the only way we can participate with joy in that kingdom that's coming? It's by repentance and faith. And you see what's so wonderful about our God? Not only that he brings a creation like this into the world, that is so much better than anything we can even imagine. right? That's, that's one of the hard things about the new creation. What is a world like where I'm not like me? Where I'm actually righteous? What is a world like where everyone else is righteous? What is a world like when God perfectly rules over all things and all evil is gone? We can't really understand what that world is entirely like. It's so good. It's so wonderful and we've never seen anything like that in our lifetime. And what is so wonderful about our God is that he wants everyone to participate in that glory. In that goodness that's beyond our, our, our finding out. He wants us all to participate in it. And he's given us all the key to know how to participate in it. He wants all people to participate with joy in the kingdom that's coming. He doesn't want anyone to miss the blessedness and happiness of that new creation. He wants all of us to experience that picture that's given in Micah 4, 4 and 5. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now, this, was, this was a favorite picture of George Washington's. It comes up again and again in his writings to people. Um, That's his vision of freedom in America. That everyone could live each under his own vine and fig tree and there would be none to make them afraid. He loved that image. It comes up again and again in letters that he writes to people. Um, But with all due respect to our first president, America will never produce that world. That world that Micah is talking about is a different kingdom, a different creation, a different world. That world is one that only Christ can produce. That world is one we can only participate in as a truly free people through repentance and faith. That's why Jesus preaches the good news and then calls for that response, that necessary response. Repent and believe in the gospel. And in a sense, Jesus just stands in a long line of biblical preachers bringing that message. There's a sense in which Jesus just stands in a long line of preachers, that this message is the old message. This message is the one that has been preached from the beginning. J.C. Ryle said, This is that old sermon which all the faithful witnesses of God have continually preached from the very beginning of the world. From Noah down to the present day, the burden of their address has always been the same. Repent and believe. And these two are the, he says, the foundation stones of Christ's ministry. It's the ministry that we still carry forward today. It's the old message. But it's brought with a new urgency. Because of the end times urgency that comes with it. It might be the old message. And in one sense, Jesus may stand in a long line of messengers who've come from God from Noah till now, saying, repent and believe. Uh, But this is a new messenger. He stands in that long line, but he stands apart from all of them and above all of them because he alone is the son of God come to proclaim that word. Uh, This is the last and best voice of God speaking. The writer of Hebrews captures that at the beginning of his letter. When he says, you know, for a long time, long ago, God has spoken by prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken by his son. Something new has come. This is a new messenger. This is the best messenger. This is the last messenger. Who comes with an end times urgency. Because if people will not listen to Jesus, there's no voice that comes after him. If people will not listen to this last and best Voice of God. There is no other voice coming. If people will not listen to Jesus, they will miss their last opportunity to be reconciled to God. Someone we'll put it this way Jesus calls men to a radical decision, conveying God's summons submit to God's gracious rule or choose the world with its riches and honor. You can have this old creation. Or you can have the new creation, you can't have both. Um, And Jesus calls us to that radical choice. And because of the end times urgency, because that kingdom is at hand, because the time is fulfilled, that's what brings that old message with a new end times urgency from this messenger who is above all. Another person put it, the decision is of immense importance and permits no postponement. There's none of us who can hear the call of Jesus the King and say no without repercussions. We are all called to repentance, to being sorry for rebelling against our God, for doing our own will instead of his will. And it's a call to return to him, to do his will. To believe in the gospel, which simply means to trust. To trust in God. That he will save us through his son. By accepting his promises and committing ourselves to his calling. That is the momentous word that Christ brings. a summons to all mankind in every age. From the throne of heaven. Mark says, this is the beginning of his gospel. This is what he came to do in the world, And that's why the start he makes with his disciples is so noteworthy. Because we might expect, given the news that the kingdom is at hand and the time is fulfilled and Christ has now come into the world, this decisive event of redemption, we might expect some great thing to come next. What we might not expect is for Jesus to be walking along a lake and calling for ordinary fishermen to follow him. Um, The start is noteworthy because it doesn't come the way we expect it. It seems rather ordinary. Um, For one who's bringing such an earth-shattering reality into the world, this seems pretty normal. Um, And Mark is teaching us something important here, I think, too. Something we'll see over and over again in the gospel. That Mark is telling us not to expect the coming of God's kingdom to conform to what we think is important. That's a message I think that God's people have had a hard time learning in every age. That the things God thinks are important are not the things we think are important. Um, And to conform our understanding to what God thinks is important. And Mark is reminding us here at the very beginning to pay careful attention to what God thinks is important. What is important to Jesus here? What is noteworthy about this start is that he's calling kingdom disciples. What does he call these four fishermen to do? They are to come after him, to follow him. They're to leave what they're doing. And they're to leave what they're doing so Jesus can make them something else. Right? It's not just a call to leave what you're doing. It's a call to leave what you're doing so Jesus can make you something else. And what does Jesus say he will make them? Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Probably a lot of you know this song. Um, fishers of men. Now, we might just think Jesus says that because of their profession. He, he sees what they're doing and he uses that as the image. If he called four electricians, he would said, you know, follow me and I'll help you turn on lights in people's hearts, you know. Um, as if he's just kind of employing that picture because of what they do, you know. And, and that's not at all what's happening here. Fishers of men has an Old Testament meaning. Fishers of men has an end times kind of meaning in the prophets. Fishers of men were those who would come and fish people out for judgment. That's what the prophets warned. It was a well-known picture in the Old Testament. Jeremiah used it. Ezekiel used it. Amos used it. Habakkuk used it. Fishers and men were those who were going to come with their nets and gather in God's people to go off to judgment. One example from Jeremiah will suffice. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt for them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. It was a picture that fishers would come and gather up the people in their nets and haul them off to exile. It was a well-known picture from the Old Testament. And Jesus is using that picture but transforming it. Because they are not going to be fishers of men to gather people into nets to drag off to judgment. What are they going to be fishers of men to do? Gather people in their nets to save them from the judgment to come. That's what Jesus promises to turn these men into, rescuers from judgment. As one person put it, these fishers of men will draw men out of darkness into light, into the net of Christ's church, so that they might be saved alive and not perish everlastingly. Jesus is applying that old image but reversing it. See, so you're going to be the ones that throw out the nets to save, to haul the people out from judgment. And that's what we need as God's people. Jesus will say, the Father needs to draw you to me. Because left to ourselves, we would go away from him and perish. And Jesus says that's what he's going to do with his disciples. He calls them and they follow him immediately. This is one of those, again, questions where people are going to want to ask, what is going on, Mark? That he just calls them and they go, yep, all right, I'm going to follow Uh, not just once but twice, leaving behind everything. They drop their nets, they leave their boats, they leave their workers, they leave their families. They follow after him. In doing that, they show what it means to be a disciple. What it means to be a disciple of Christ, that when Christ calls, you follow. And then when he calls, you follow, no matter what you have to give up to follow him. Trusting that he will do in you and with you what he's promised. We can think of that briefly as it applies to these four men. They were taken away from their nets, but what did Jesus do for them? He made them new creatures in him. He fit them for the new creation. He also makes them fishers of men as he promised. And through them, Christ will extend the preaching of the gospel of God to the ends of the earth. There's a sense in which from an earthly perspective, we're here because of those 11 men. And because of the fishing that they did. Because of the faithfulness to their task, the gospel has come to the end of the world. And we've been caught in the nets of the church up to salvation by the gospel of our God. He did more through them than they could have imagined. That we who are a world away from that Galilean lake have heard their word. And who believed in it and lived. And that's the calling to all of us who are here to follow the disciples' example, to obey the call of Christ, to repent and to believe, to trust in him, to follow him, no matter what we have to leave behind to do so, trusting he will do in us what he's promised. Trusting that Christ will make us fit for that new creation that he's bringing about, that he inaugurated in his first coming, that he's consummating by his second coming in glory. May we all be ready by repentance and faith to meet the Lord when he comes. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this day that you've set aside for rest and worship that we might hear this good news. We thank you that you brought us together and made central to our worship the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ that so we might hear the gospel of God, to hear the good news proclaimed in his name. We thank you for your mercy to poor sinners like us, that you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved, and so you send forth your message into the world. We pray that we would all believe in it and respond to it in the way you've called us while well, the time is still today, while well, today is the day of salvation that we might respond before it is tomorrow and too late. So we pray, Lord, that you would be with us all. We thank you for your wonderful mercy and grace in Christ that you proclaim to us the good news of the kingdom so we might believe it and live. We thank you for Christ who has brought the new creation in its beginning and will certainly bring it to consummation in the end. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We ask you to hear our prayers.